0: This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times.
1: The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments
2: that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently.
0: In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Esports is a good aberration. We're still moving forward. We're part of something much bigger than the sport right now. The health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think We're all, from a business perspective, thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports
1: from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly.
0: And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry.
1: And in just a bit, we're going to catch up with Stephanie McMahon. She's the chief brand officer of WWE. She's got some streaming news to talk about. But I got to tell you, no bigger news in the streaming world, in the media world, than this massive $105 billion, give or take, deal that the NFL has announced with lots of different people, but most notably, Amazon.com. Who can make sense of this for us? Oh, I know, the smartest guy I know on media. We're talking about (laughs) Paul Sweeney. He is the co-host of Bloomberg Markets and Bloomberg Surveillance, longtime Analyst and watcher of all things media. All right, Mr. Sweeney, you're the guy I want to hear from on this.
3: What was your initial reaction? We knew this deal
1: was coming, but there were some surprises here, right?
3: Yeah, there really were. The first thing is just the numbers just keep going up and up and up. I mean, you're talking about $10 billion a year for 10 years. So, you know, the rich just get richer, that being the NFL. Uh, so the numbers are just staggering. And it just shows you how important live sports is to broadcast networks and cable networks. And of course, the real unique aspect of this deal is that a major package, in this case, the Thursday night package of games, goes to a streaming service in amazon.com. So they're spending a billion dollars per year to get that Thursday night game. So if you're the NFL, you've got the broadcast networks bidding for your game. You've got the cable networks bidding for your game. And now you've got Silicon Valley bidding for your game. That's a good place to be.
0: Paul, this is a $105 billion deal over the streaming and the the TV rights. How in the H-E double (laughs) goalpost did the NFL, in a pandemic year, pull this off? It's amazing, isn't it? It just shows you how just
3: absolutely dominant in terms of viewership um, the NFL is in the United States. Um, You know, the highest rated shows every single year are basically football shows, you know, the NFL games. Uh, and of course, the uh, the Super Bowl is is the granddaddy of them all there. So, you know, it, it continues to be a great business in the sense for the networks that they may not make any money. And in fact, I think they lose money on their NFL programming, but they get other areas of value, most notably promotion value. Uh, they promote other shows on the network like crazy. So when you're watching a game on CBS, you'll have Jim Nance telling you to tune in to, to 60 Minutes or to, you know they'll hype a new show that they're gonna launch on Tuesday night. And there's a lot of value that they ascribe to that type of promotional value. So uh, it's an extraordinary product in terms of viewership, despite all the fragmentation we've seen uh, with all the streaming services, but boy, it's still the big game in town.
2: Hey, Paul, it's Mike up in Boston. What's the risk level for this Thursday night deal with Amazon? Uh, They had one game exclusively last year where they drew a little over 4 million viewers, uh, San Francisco and Arizona it was.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Thursday night package out of all the NFL packages available is the weakest of them all because uh, they typically don't get the best games and there's a little bit of overload fatigue. It's Thursday night hasn't really established itself like Monday night or even Sunday night has. Uh, so the networks are, were less, uh, uh, um, I think, active in terms of pursuing that package. So it really opened it up for the NFL to be creative and, and go out to some of the digital platforms and say, hey... Why don't you guys take a look at this? Tell us what you think and ascribe some value to it. And Amazon said it's worth a billion dollars to us. And we're going to put that on our Amazon.prime as a a value enhancement to our Amazon.prime shareholders, I mean, to our uh, users. And so the question for the NFL is, can Amazon grow the audience on that platform? It's going to be a fascinating experiment uh, over the next 10 years. Well, everybody in the media world clearly is taking
1: a look at this. And uh, you and Matt Miller, uh, earlier on your show, Bloomberg Markets, got to catch up with the former president of CBS Sports, Neil Pilson. He's now got his own shop. Uh, let's hear what he had to say. Everybody was predicting, you know, the demise of the
0: networks, the end of linear television. Uh, the networks are going to go away. Uh, no, uh, the networks are here to. Here for the next 11
3: years, uh, that's the important story. That's
1: a really interesting, you know, we've talked so much about streaming, but this is still, this is the lifeline, maybe, Paul Sweeney, for the, the linear television networks, right, for the broadcasters.
3: Yeah, it, it really is. It's really proven to be uh, a strong, the, really the strongest part of the broadcast and cable television package from a value perspective is live sports. And of course, the most valuable live sports we have in this country is the NFL. But it's also interesting to note that all of the broadcast and cable networks in their press releases announcing these deals, they each of those networks, they all said, we garnered additional digital rights around mm. our deal with the NFL, which. To me just says hey we're going to make this programming available not just on our broadcasting and, c- and cable networks but increasingly i think over their streaming services and, and all of the broadcast and cable networks out there that are all in various stages of rolling out their streaming services and they want to make sure that they have the possibility of using some of that nfl content as well paul one quick uh, last question for you um of the broadcasters is there is there a big winner here you know, I would argue that ESPN and ABC are, uh, you know, really did well here. Most notably because their rate of increase was was less than some of the others because they are already paying more f- for their programming. But the important thing is um, they're going to put some programming on ABC, and the reason that's important is they're going to put some of these NFL games on ABC. That allows them now to get the Super Bowl. So over the next 10 years, they will have two Super Bowls. And prior to this uh, contract, uh, they did not. They were not in that Super Bowl rotation because Uh, the NFL did not want to put the Super Bowl on a cable network, even if it's as as powerful as ESPN. They wanted it for broadcast television. Now the Walt Disney Company will have the Super Bowl. Paul Sweeney, you always make us smarter about
1: this stuff. Thank you so much. Co-host of
3: Bloomberg Markets and
1: Bloomberg Surveillance, a longtime watcher and analyst of the media business. Check him out on his show every day on Bloomberg Radio. Today, we are thrilled. We are chatting with Stephanie McMahon. She is the WWE Chief Brand Officer. Really nice to have you with us. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me. How are you guys?
1: We're doing well. We're doing really well. You know, like a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And I mean, I guess that's where I'd like to start. Give us the state of the business right now. You know, having come through hopefully most of this pandemic, obviously some huge pivots that you guys had to make. As you look back on it, what are the sort of catalytic moments as a business for you
4: guys? Oh, my goodness. Um, The catalytic moments, I think the hits keep rolling. Uh, but that being said you know wwe never went off the air when the pandemic hit so we continued to produce our programming for our partners and just for perspective we produce a minimum of seven hours of content every week we have no off seasons um we don't have reruns and our partners are of course nbcu and fox broadcast so you know we, we never went off the air but that being said We had to take WrestleMania, you know, almost a year ago and take it from Raymond James Stadium and nearly 80,000 people and bring that in-house to our performance center, which is, in essence, a warehouse with no fans. Um, It was a a completely stripped environment, you know, something very different than the spectacle of WrestleMania. And, you know, we learned a lot. So for about three months, we were producing our content. You know, our, our talent were performing and it's you know for those who aren't familiar with wwe it's like athletic performance right it's it's storytelling in the ring and you know they had to do that without the crowd feedback without the crowd reaction and and the our fans are so much a part of our show Um, and our ratings of course started to to suffer and so in uh, late August we were hoping that we would be back in in live events and arenas in the fall and of course that didn't happen So we invested in what we call the WWE Thunderdome. And we took up residency first at the Amway Center um, in Orlando and then at Tropicana Field. Um, And we now partner with a group called the Famous Group. We bring in nearly 1,000 fans every single night. And it, it is set up like an arena setting. And it really feels as if you are live in the arena. And we have live fans reacting. It's about a second and a half delay, which is, you know, very hard to discern for, to the casual viewer. Um, and we've learned a lot experimenting with techniques like drone cameras, laser, pyro, augmented reality, all different kinds of things that we wouldn't have typically been able to do otherwise. So now we're gearing up. Tickets are on sale this past week for WrestleMania. And we are back at Raymond James Stadium. It'll be our first big ticketed live event. We are so excited, we are so thrilled. Finally, Wrestlemania is back in business.
0: Trust me, Steph. After I've had a couple of beers and I'm watching you guys, that second and a half delay didn't mean a thing. Everything oh, synced nice. up right after that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: thank you. Thank you. I hope you're cheering along. <laughs> yeah.
0: How did the wrestlers feel going through all of that? That had to be a, a tough adjustment. You, you touched off a bit on that.
4: I can't speak from personal experience. I can as a performer, but I didn't have to, to actually wrestle you know, the, the way that our talent did. Um, all I can say is how much respect I have for them, you know, to be able to do that and not miss a beat, you know, not break character. Um, it was it was just unbelievable to watch. I know what it takes, you know, to put on that kind of a performance, and I just can't imagine it without the live audience. And, and I just have so much respect all the time for our performers, but especially... You know for their performance during this really difficult time, and for for sticking it out, you know our talent continued to travel every week they continued to come to to our performances and adhere you know of course to all of our guidelines and testing and protocols, et cetera and our percentage rate is actually you know just around one percent of of positive cases, so our protocols and, and our talent really did you know it really has been working. Um, but, you know, again, my hat's just off to them. They are incredible human beings. They are incredible athletes. And, and they're also committed so much to to giving back in all of our community efforts, which they do out of the goodness of their hearts. It's not a contractual obligation for them.
2: Hey, Steph, it's Mike up in Boston. Uh, I remember uh, WrestleMania 1 back in March of uh, 1985. And, uh, As do I. Was... <laughs> 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 yes. That was the marriage of MTV and 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 wrestling uh, with Cindy Lauper. Yeah, the rock and, and uh,
4: wrestling connection.
2: Yeah, it was big. And my wife was uh, more than nine months pregnant, and uh, we watched it at the Boston Garden. And uh, she was interviewed by a television uh, camera at station I work at, and she said, "If Big John Stud can't bring on labor, nobody can." And, uh, <laughs> and did he? And sh- he did. Yeah, Molly Lynch was born shortly <laughs> after that. <laughs> so going in, so here we, so who would have imagined how big this would be 37 years later. So now you're in the home of uh, Raymond James Stadium where the Super Bowl was played, where the Buccaneers won. What have uh, what lessons did you, did you have to learn from the Super Bowl to put on the show that uh, that you want to put on in WrestleMania 37?
4: Absolutely. So, just to uh, to address though the, the WrestleMania One aspect, and, and <laughs> while you're the first, you know, I've heard of, of actually inducing labor. Um, my parents actually mortgaged everything that they owned to make WrestleMania One happen, and wow. it was my dad's vision, really. You know, Vince McMahon, our chairman and CEO, putting WWE on the map. What was our What was our Super Bowl? You know, how are we going to make our impact? And you know, we brought in Liberace and the Rockettes open the show, Muhammad Ali was a special guest referee, uh, Billy Martin was the guest timekeeper, Cyndi Lauper, to your point, was uh, accompanied Wendy Richter to the ring as a, as a part of the Rock and Wrestling Connection, um, and really, because at the time, there was no such thing as social media, it didn't exist at all, so how are you going to get, you know, different sectors of the population talking about WWE, and uh, very grateful that it worked. But WrestleMania, then um, actually, some have credited you know Vince with pioneering the pay-per-view industry because you mentioned you watched in Boston because it was available on closed-circuit television, and our goal was always to bring our product directly to our fans in their homes. Um, so WrestleMania did just that in the very beginning. Then about seven years ago, we launched WWE Network, um, which was our OTT direct-to-consumer experience. So we were you know a little bit a- ahead of the game. And again, with the goal of really providing the most value to our fans and to allow them to watch our, our content when they want how they wanted to, you know, etc. for a much lower price point. Um and now we've evolved even further with all of these tech giants getting into the streaming space, you know, we're not a technology company, we're a content company. Um so we're really, really proud that WrestleMania is going to be available now on Peacock and our whole partnership with NBCU and Peacock which NBCU, our partnership, goes back over 30 years, and I promise I'll get to your question about the NFL and the Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, here we are launching all of our most premium content, all of the WW Network library content. You know, it's over 12,000 hours of content is ultimately going to be rolling over onto Peacock, and, uh, and we couldn't be more excited about that. In terms of the actual location itself, we, we are grateful to actually be following in the uh, Super Bowl's footsteps. You know, cities typically bid on WrestleMania and RFP process very similar to the Super Bowl because of the economic impact that we can traditionally drive, you know, outside of of a pandemic era, you know, north of $100 million of economic impact for that local region. Um, But in terms of the stadium itself, with Raymond James Stadiums, we worked with all of the local organizing uh, commission, the, the different sports authorities, the mayor's office, Jane Castor. Um, to really develop, you know, the best plan we possibly could. And um, in terms of what we learned from the NFL, we're going to be providing masks, you know, the N95 masks, the same as the NFL did, all of the health and and temperature screenings that we did. We're going to have a similar capacity, around 25,000 fans each night, because this year WrestleMania is actually two nights, April 10th and April 11th. But the NFL scaling is different because, of course, WWE, we can have people on the floor. And uh, in an NFL game, you you can't, clearly, because that's the field. Um, So it's uh, it's really exciting. I can't believe it's here. You know, about three weeks away. Um, And, of course, uh, Fastlane is actually our pay-per-view, our last pay-per-view before WrestleMania. That'll be the first live pay-per-view experience available on Peacock.
1: Let's get back to our conversation with Stephanie McMahon, the Chief Brand Officer over at WWE. So, Steph, I want to go a little bit deeper on on streaming because Peacock obviously is a huge deal for you guys and is also, I would say, from a sporting perspective and from an entertainment perspective, a very strong endorsement of that streaming service. Tell us how you guys sort of assessed the landscape because you, know, you did a really nice job of laying out kind of where we were um, you know, back in the WrestleMania 1 days to where we are now, and our habits have changed, distribution has changed, but you are, you know, one of the biggest deciders, as it were, in terms of directing your content. Walk us through that process for the brand.
4: Sure. Well, you know, and Vince's perspective has always been to be slightly ahead of the curve. You never want to be so far ahead of the curve that people don't understand what you're doing, and you certainly never want to be behind. So it's one of the reasons why we were, you know, first to launch seven years ago, one of the first to launch um, WWE Network, our direct-to-consumer, and um, OTT service, because we had done a ton of research, and our fans had been very vocal that they wanted their own destination, their own channel, if you will. And for WWE content in our historic library, et cetera, because WWE is also very different than sport in that because we are storytellers and because um, it, it is about a much deeper connection to content and character. Um, there's a big nostalgia play, so our fans are you know really excited to go back and rewatch matches because it takes them back to a moment in time and that emotional connection that they had that they might want to then share with their families, et cetera different than going back and watching a game, which, you know, not, not a lot of fans do. So we, we have that advantage. Um, and, you know, we, we did learn a lot, you know, from that time. So we were, we were actually pretty far down the pike negotiating a linear deal. Um, but then our, oh. you know, almost partners wanted to lock up our rights for about 10 years. And it just was a really long time. And we, you know, decided to take a step back. We did deeper research. We learned that our fans were consuming five times more online video than average. So we thought, you know what, let's control our own destiny here. And we doubled down in eight months, which was a a huge Herculean effort, if you will, um, to launch WWE Network at that time. And there were a lot of key learnings. You know, at first we required, I think it was a a minimum of six-month subscription um you know we we had different feature sets etc and we're constantly listening to our fans you know and especially then with with wwe network's advent we had the ability to really learn a lot more collect a lot more data how our fans watch when they watch what they watch etc um so we learned a lot and we pivoted a lot and we tried to make the best service that we possibly could but again we're always looking at the media landscape and it's constantly evolving and shifting. The pandemic clearly sped up digital consumption. Everyone has seen that. Um, But even prior to the pandemic, we were already starting to have conversations with different partners and players in the space because, you know, like I said before, we're not a technology company. You know, I think we did a remarkable job and we have a remarkable technology team, but that's not who we are at our core. And, and that we're not going to change who we are at our core. You know, we, we don't have the, the capital to, to do that, and that's not the direction. That's not our level of expertise. So what we are is incredible content creators, and, and we have, you know, a generations-long history of that. So we wanted to, to find the best partner that we possibly could to provide our most premium content, and NBCU has been a partner of ours for over 30 years you know, dating all the way back to the beginning of Raw, but also Saturday night's main event when we would be on when Saturday Night Live wasn't on. Um, You know, just various years of partnership with NBC, and they have this incredible service, Peacock, and uh, we're so proud that we launched this week.
0: With your business acumen, how much did you learn from your parents, Vince and Linda McMahon?
4: Uh, well, that's a hard question to answer, but I try to learn everything I can from them. You know, my mom was the the CEO of WWE for quite a long time, um, and growing up, you know, they were really building the business. So it's not like I had nannies around all the time and I was off at school. Like I, I was with my parents traveling. You know, I was going to Nappy. I have this great picture. Well, it's a terrible picture, actually, but I'm like 10 years old, sitting in a ring from from the Nappy Convention days, and you know, it was, um, I'd always be a part of business dinners and, you know, sit and listen when, when my dad was, uh, booking the creative for the show, that that's what we call it when you're writing the the creative and I would just sit and listen, you know, he'd work all, all weekends and I, I try to be as much of a sponge as I can, not just with my parents though, with, you know, all business leaders. And, um, you know, I think you can learn something from everyone and, you know, you have to learn every day. Keep growing, right? If if you stop growing, if you stop learning, then you're not really living.
2: Steph, with the deal with Peacock, does your schedule change? Are we still going to see uh, Monday Night Raw, Friday Night SmackDown?
4: Yes. Yeah, so, thank you for that question. Monday Night Raw is still on USA Network. It's still live okay. three hours every Monday night, eight to eleven. NXT is is newer. To USA Network, but that's live every Wednesday, eight to ten. That doesn't change. And SmackDown is still live on Fox on Friday nights, eight to ten, every Friday night. So our core flagship programming, rather, is still with our partners. And then our pay-per-views and all of our shoulder content, like the Undertaker four-part docu-series, that type of content is now living on Peacock. And then for our subscribers, you know, the price point was nine ninety nine. Um, so Peacock has a premium 9.99 service, so it's completely, you know, complimentary. Although now, in addition to that, you get all of their library as well. But Peacock additionally has a 4.99 tier, which is ad-supported and still has all of that content. So it really is a great value proposition for our fans, and we always want to provide the best best value we possibly can for them.
1: Well, and on that point, Steph, I I do want to understand the economics from the WWE perspective as well. Uh, You know, consumers, I think all of us, if I can speak as a consumer, are wallowing in all this content. But I, I do wonder what the challenges are from an economic perspective for you guys in continuing to figure out this new world.
4: Well, of course, economics are, you know, we always want to drive the best economics yeah. we possibly can for w b and our shareholders. You know, we are a, a public company, um, but this deal with Peacock is certainly, you know, a, a, a great deal for us uh, financially. Um, we have a number of different initiatives and, and, and partnerships that are going to be rolling out, but we really do need to get our fans back to, to our events. You know, that is uh, critical to, to our ongoing success. So, um, when I had said before, the, you talked about the, the, the effects of the pandemic, a lot yeah. of which we're feeling actually in 2021 um, versus 2020. We we had a lot of, you know, offset costs because we were producing out of that performance center for so long before we, you know, doubled down and reinvested in, in the on-screen product with the Thunderdome. So uh, we really knew, do need to get our fans back to our shows.
1: So, Steph, you know, this business is so fascinating, I think, to, to so many because, as you said, it's a family business, also publicly traded. So, you know, all these sort of intersections of uh, of commerce and family and personality, and it's also very driven by the talent. How have you seen it evolve as a business, and, and how do you balance sort of all of those elements of it because it is you know so much of your family invested in it and I and I say that more kind of figuratively than literally obviously literally that's the case but you know so much of 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 it is you know part of the personality of, of the McMahon's
4: and one McMahon in particular, I yes. think. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it's really remarkable when you think about our history and what Vince McMahon, and just so you know, I call him, you know, Vince in business, and he's dad at home, and yeah. in this interview I've gone back and forth, but um, it's important to make that distinction. Believe me, there's, there's Vince, my boss, and there's my dad. Um, but when you think about what he has done, so he took what was a regional business, you know, professional wrestling at the time was broken up into different territories, different systems, um, you know, and actually dates all the way back to the days of, of Carnival and really back to, you know, Greco-Roman Roman Coliseum, right? That's really the advent of it. It has a, a lot of staying power. Um, even Abraham Lincoln is rumored to have been uh, a professional wrestler working the carnival circuits, you know before he came president, became president, obviously. Some historians refute that, some support it, you know it's up to you it's it's like w w. e. lore um but you know it so it was regional at the time, and my father had the vision to really you know go around and create one organization. so when it back in the thiefdom days, what they did is they had one you know big champion that would travel in between the different territories, you know, to create the, the big draw and the spectacle. Um, and my father wanted to create one organization nationally and then ultimately globally. And that's what he did. And he saw the opportunity for syndication. He saw the opportunity for advertising, you know, and he saw the opportunity to really create something that had never, you know, risen to the level of popularity that it rightly should have been. Um, and he wanted to take it from the, the vision of sort of the bar room kind of atmosphere to make it really this family-friendly property. And I think really the best, you know, analogy in terms of all of our lines of business from consumer products to our production and, and everything else really at the time was Disney. Um, so, mm. you know, we're, we're a, a fully, you know, integrated media company. Um, and we've grown. So he took this brand and he took it from a regional territory to this global brand, you know, that that's currently valued, you know, anywhere between four to five billion dollars on, on the New York Stock Exchange. And we're continuing to grow and, and break our records, you know, every year. Um, and uh, it's a really exciting proposition. We are the fifth most viewed YouTube channel in the world. Um, we trend on Twitter every single week. We're the second most followed sports property on TikTok behind the NBA. They have 12 million followers. We have 10 million. They launched before us, so we're hoping we're going to catch them. Um, but we've created this global enterprise available in 900 million homes around the world in 180 countries in 28 languages with over 500 live events in a non-pandemic era. So it's, uh, it's remarkable, and I'm so proud to to be a part of this journey And the fact that it is a family business is, you know, a a really interesting part, especially when you're a part of the family. Right. (laughs) Um, But the one thing that we have in common is we share this passion. We are so passionate about our brand, and I think that passion creates an entrepreneurial spirit um, that really is behind the driving force and growth of, of WWE.
0: There are more sports figures that are getting into the PR part of it to help manage wrestlers or any other sport for that matter. It doesn't make a difference whether it's racing or basketball, whatever. But the athletes are now helping other athletes do that. Do you guys have some sort of a support system like that? And, and how do you manage your wrestlers?
4: Uh, so, you know, WWE is a bit different than, than other leagues and properties because we own all of the intellectual property because we create the intellectual property. Um, so it, it is very different than how the leagues operate. Um, but we have a whole pop culture strategy if, if outside of our business, if this is part of what you were alluding to, you know, where we cast our superstars. That's what we call our performers or our superstars. We cast them outside of WWE programming. So whether that's everything from partnership endorsements um, to cameos to you know, uh, you know, roles in, in Hollywood films to red carpets to, you know, you name it. We, we want to get our stars as out there as possible because we, of course, recognize there's a huge percentage of the population that, you know, maybe not be current WWE fans that we want to attract. Um, and at the same time, we want to bring other athletes and pop culture influencers and celebrities inside our programming Again, for the same reason. And the rising tide really raises all boats in terms of audience awareness and growth, because then the WWE audience is exposed to that personality and hopefully then continues to grow that as well. Um, so we're, uh, we're really excited. There, we have a couple tricks up our sleeve for WrestleMania that, that you'll see. Um, you know, Bad Bunny has certainly been a huge part of our programming ah. since the Royal Rumble <laughs> and was a 24-7 champion and, uh, you know, just, just gave up his title. Um but it's been uh it's a wild ride, I gotta tell you, it really is. It's a lot of fun.
2: Hey Steph, um you know I have three daughters who are thirty-three, soon to be thirty six. Thank you, Big John Stud, and uh another one that's thirty (laughs) eight. You You know, people are gonna start to ask some questions, I'm just saying. I'm
1: just saying. Some of the allusions you've made to this. I'm just saying.
2: (laughs) I would say to them, you know, over the year, I said, "Oh, guess who I interviewed today? LeBron James. Oh, that's nice. I interviewed Tom Brady the other day. Oh, that's nice." Yesterday, I told Molly, I said, "Who's going to be 36, I said, "I'm interviewing uh, Stephanie McMahon tomorrow." You're kidding me, Dad! You're <laughs> kidding me! And then, you know, she called. I really? immediately called both of her sisters. Then they said, "I love Triple H. I love Stephanie McMahon. Oh my God! Where can I listen to it?" So I think my point is is that your engagement with the female audience. And getting them to be loyal has worked, where it has failed in a lot of other sports. Is that something that's a direct effort and a direct point of concentration? I know you have a lot of female executives. Your mother has been empowered for you know, b- 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 almost a half a century, and uh, you have three daughters as well. Is that a conscious effort on your part of WWE?
4: Absolutely. And um, you know, what happened was we started training and recruiting elite athletes, both male and female. Uh, in our performance center. And I do give you know all of the credit to my husband, who you mentioned, Triple H, Paul Levesque, who's also an executive in WWE, again, the whole family business aspect of it all. But you know, he started really recruiting these elite athletes, and he started training the women same as the men, giving them the same amount of match time, the same opportunity. Because like anything else, the more reps you have, the better you're going to get. And what happened was on NXT, which was at the time our developmental program, it's really now evolved into its own brand, as as I had mentioned on the the prior podcast on USA Network every week. But what happened was our fans started chanting, this is wrestling and women's wrestling every time the women were on because they were absolutely stealing the show. I actually think the NXT women's roster right now is, is one of the strongest female athlete rosters that there is um, in sports. And, um, you know, it really gave rise to our fans and empowered them to make change on Raw and SmackDown. So it was actually 2015 where we had a women's tag match that lasted all of 30 seconds in a three-hour show. And our fans had had enough. And they actually started a hashtag called Give Divas a Chance, which at the time was how we had branded the women's division. And they were specifically calling for longer matches, more athleticism, better character development, better storylines. So we responded in the biggest way we possibly could with Vince, who said, We hear you. Keep watching. Hashtag give Divas a chance. So then uh, strategically at WrestleMania, again, our biggest event of the year uh, at AT AT&T Stadium in front of over 101,000 people, we announced the rebranding of the Divas division to the women's division we announced that our women would be called superstars, same as the men, and we unveiled a new championship belt that was more akin to the men's but still very feminine. Since that time, our women have been more regularly headlining and main eventing all of our programming, including WrestleMania 35, where Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch broke the gross entertainment revenue record at MetLife Stadium. And not only that... But the impact that can be felt all over the world, it actually took us six years. But in Abu Dhabi, we were finally able to have a women's match. And, of course, the gear was different, right, that only their hands and their heads could be exposed. But during their match, a chant broke out of both men and women chanting, This is hope, which is not a typical WWE chant. This is hope. And Alexa Bliss and Sasha Banks saw tears in the eyes of little girls in the front row. And you just can't imagine the impact that you can have on someone's life. And now we have had not one, but two women's matches in Saudi Arabia where the chant was simply, this is awesome, which is exactly what it should be.
1: Wow. That's really, uh, that is incredible. You know, Lynchy was mentioning a, a few minutes ago, you know, this notion of you know how many female executives you have, uh, and and I think I would be journalistically negligent if I didn't ask you. I mean, I'm sure if, if we asked Vince slash your dad, he would say he's going to live forever and he's going to do this forever and <laughs> it will always be this. But this is a... We, this we is... have the,
4: the, the Walt Disney, I made that analogy before, the cryo chambers, yes. like, ready to go. Exactly, <laughs>
1: exactly. Whether it's a hologram, whatever it is, whatever technology <laughs> is going to exist. But I have to think you guys talk about this and think about this. As both the management team as a and as a family, how do you ensure the long term succession, the long term sort of value and success of this business, given how much of it uh, you know has revolved around him?
4: Well, I do think a, a lot of the institutional knowledge is important, um, particularly with regards to to the core content that we have at WWE, but also surrounding ourselves, surrounding our business with really strong, smart executives. Um, and that's exactly what we have. And that's that's what we have continued to do to, to grow and evolve our business. So I do think it's the marriage of the institutional knowledge, the incredible production value, um, the creation of talent IP and storylines and really strong business executives to help us grow and expand on our core functionality and what we're really great at. So I, I think it's a combination of things. I don't think there will... You know, ever be a a person to person replacement for Vince McMahon. I mean, that that would never happen. You know, he does too much. Um, So it, it, the landscape would look different long term in in terms of, you know, how everything shapes out. But I think that it's the marriage of those, those pieces that, that I just talked about. Vince can do it all and then it'll, it'll go to a handful of people who can, who can extrapolate and grow his vision. Um, and continue to grow WWE's business long, hopefully, into the future for generations to come.
1: Well, Stephanie, uh, it has been such a great pleasure for us. We learned a ton. I learned I learned a lot about Lynchy and his family. Uh, you know, so thank you for yeah. um, thank you for elucidating that. I, I feel like we've all been through something here um, today, and uh, so we really appreciate your time. Uh, can't wait for this. I, I feel like WWE is in many ways sort of the tip of the spear when it comes to you know normal life uh, returning or the new normal, whatever that. It's going to be so. Best of luck uh, with WrestleMania down in Tampa. Excited to uh, tune into Peacock as well. So thanks so much for the time.
4: Well, no, thank you, guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care and be safe.
1: Well, guys, what a fascinating discussion. I, I really wow. do feel like uh, she taught us a lot. Taught me a lot, at least, about that business and you know how it's similar but different to other sports that we talk about a lot on this show. The economics, the business model, whether it's talent management, uh, this streaming deal. And, And I really one of the things that really stuck with me was how she said her dad, also known as Vince McMahon, always talks about being just ahead of the curve, not too far out, but but not, you know. Clearly, but clearly still kind of setting a new standard. And and you got to give him, regardless of what you think about professional wrestling, you got to give him credit for that,
2: right, (laughs) Lynching? Absolutely. And how many times have you heard this story with any business at all? Well, my mom and dad sunk everything they had into this Mm -hmm. shoe store, into this coffee shop. And look at us today. We've got franchises all over. And that's what they did with WrestleMania 1 on March 31st, 1985. And look what it is right now. It's just a a, a billion-dollar uh, enterprise and and wrestlemania it just keeps growing year after year after year
1: What do you think other than us i think having a new nickname for Lynchy, which involves stud <laughs> um, <laughs> we're gonna get into that later but uh what'd you take away i mean this is something this is obviously a business and a sport that you watched uh for a long time you had some nice callbacks there so i mean th- it's a
0: juggernaut oh my goodness I, I i did not hear the story and and when Stephanie brought it up about Abraham Lincoln uh, yeah. dabbling in the wrestling. Can you see that being promoted? The four score and seven slams ago event. It yeah, exactly. would be good. I, I was really just impressed when I would hear her talk uh, about her parents, Vince and Linda McMahon, how she absorbed so much of their business sense because uh, she would always travel with them and pick up tips and learn from them. That that always impressed me.
1: Yeah, really interesting to to hear about you know coming up through the family business and um, and obviously you know her husband now part of the business Triple H, uh, you know. But but I think and, and we didn't get as much into this, but you know her understanding of both the talent side and the business side. That model I think is fascinating going forward especially at a time when you do see and i think you alluded to this in one of your questions bar sort of these big brands that have grown up around some of these folks you know you think about some of the most iconic uh figures culturally and you know look no further than dwayne the rock johnson in in terms of you know yeah. being able to use a massive platform you know like professional wrestling and and to leverage it into uh something much more so uh Really good to to catch up with her, and uh, it'll be interesting to to tune in. Uh, You know, God knows what's going to happen in the Lynchy household after this WrestleMania. I don't know. I don't know.
2: Well, how about, you know, when I I talked to her, you know, my daughter said, wow, you're interviewing Stephanie McMahon, and then she went into the story about they they wrestled in uh, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. And they only could expose their hands and the the top of their heads, and the crowd was chanting, this is hope. And then they had two wrestling matches with women in Saudi Arabia, and the chant was, this is awesome so i think you know she takes that leadership from her mother linda who's been such an activist and such a leader in in not only in her business but beyond and and stephanie has applied these principles to her business uh uh tastes and she has great business acumen obviously and and it shows the grip that uh wrestling has on women you try to get women to watch major league baseball nhl or nba and but you get them to watch you know wrestling at a young age and they're hooked
1: well, interesting to 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 hear her talk about the evolution of how they they probably I mean this was implicit I think in her answer that they were maybe segmenting the the women away from the from the men's matches a little bit too much and and clearly that it was a a response that the evolution of that was a response directly um to their customers of you know rebranding it from divas to superstars and making the belts look a little bit more similar and, and you know that those are the sorts of things that that ripple far beyond uh the world of wrestling and and you obviously have some some good evidence of that uh in your family Lynching
2: Yes, I do Thank you, John, Big John Studd uh, Molly Lynch was born uh, shortly after That was a busy spring We had Big jo- We had Wrestlemania We had Molly Lynch We had Hagler Hearns That was all right around that time I'm sure your wife is going
1: to listen to this and be like So the birth of our first daughter Is lumped in with a couple of like, Sports things I really am married to a sportscaster Thanks, Lynchy.
0: Oh, man I almost <laughs> fell off my seat when I heard that story. <laughs> so, All right, Parr, so. bring it on. Here we
2: go. Here, we, here go. we
0: go. Well, I can't beat the Lynchy story, but here's the number of the week. And uh, it's one of my favorites. You know I always like to talk about home sales. Oh, boy. Here oh, we go. Love oh this. here we go. You know the Wilpon family used to yeah. own the Mets. Uh, a New York real estate dynasty that recently sold its stake and is now pitching another prized asset, according to Dow Jones, a Greek revival style townhouse. It's in Manhattan's Chelsea district. It's 25 feet wide, dates back to the 1830s. How much are they listing it for? Chelsea. It's 7,058 square feet. I'm gonna go twenty million.
2: I think you threw a number out there, Bar, at the beginning to uh, That was like a a subtle hint. Oh, you said twenty 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 five feet wide. So I'm just gonna throw twenty five million at you.
1: <laughs> He's retaking yeah, you his crown, it. isn't he? God. Yes, he is. He I hit it on the nose. All Twenty-five million,
0: big Lynchy stud, big Lynchie stud. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, that's amazing, that story, man. But, uh, but by the way, this uh, townhouse is near the historic St. Peter's Episcopal Church. Five levels, oh. five bedrooms, several separate outdoor spaces. You know, we could put our nickels together. Maybe. I had no clue. I really just threw, I just
2: threw a dart at a boy with a with a blindfold on in that one. But when you said twenty five feet, I thought you emphasized twenty five feet wide, and I went, "Oh 25.
1: God, you're you're really uh, you're just like in you're, you're on a a bar wavelength. I like it. It's good. It's Get good. out of my head." Talk. Talk about wrestling more with you, Lynchy. That's great. That's great. All right, you've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcast. Catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Earlier this week, we got deep into the world of sports cards. Those baseball cards. Those basketball cards. Worth millions, and now you can trade them. So check that out. We talked to the CEO of Alt. Uh, and also check us out on Twitter. You can follow me, Jason Kelly, at Jason Kelly News.
2: And I'm Mike Lynch. Thank you very much, Big John Stud. You can follow me at Lynchy WCBB.
0: Yeah, Lynchy. What am I thinking now? I'm Michael Barr on Twitter <laughs> at Big bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.